Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out more about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hi, welcome back to Making Action Happen. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. I'm Brian McCain. And we have an actually very interesting show for you today. Um, and I know that we've been talking about redistricting so much, but we have a, sort of an expert and an old friend with us today, Andy Merritt. And we'll get to Andy in just a moment. Uh, before we get there, there's a couple of things coming up that we want to remind you of. Uh, first of all, if you're an Action 22 member already and you have an event coming up, let us know about it and we'll help you promote it. We'll send it out an email and our email blast. We'll also talk about it on the show. We really want everybody to have a very successful fall. Uh, the first one that's coming up is, of course, the legislative barbecue that the, the Pueblo Chamber puts on every year. For those of you in the political arena, that is a must-do every single year, and it's down here at the State Fair. So that is, uh, that'll be a lot of fun. Which is preceded by the State Fair Parade. That Which we is, will be in. We're going to be in the. We are going to be in the state fair parade. I don't know exactly what we're going to be doing in the. Have we decided yet? Are we yeah. going to be on a boat? Are we going to be on a float? Are we going to be on four wheelers or truck? We don't know yet, but we will be in the state fair parade, uh, and then we're going to be. There's the golf tournament ahead of time. There's all of the great stuff that's going on. Uh, we've already talked quite a bit about the annual meeting that's coming up in October. We've already got a bunch of sponsors. We're going to be contacting you on uh, sponsorships and, and make sure that you're there. It's a really cool event, and they're doing some great things, uh, the community, for the event for uh, just um, discounts and all kinds of great stuff down there. Um, and then also the 100-year anniversary, uh, no, the 200-year of the Santa Fe Trail. Oh, yeah, the Santa Fe yes. Trail. Santa Fe Trail, they're celebrating that the end of September. Uh, and Dana Crawford, who is doing some work down there, who's an Action 22 member, and she's been on the show before. Uh, she's that force of nature that we all love so much. She is helping with that as well as Trinidad. So uh, there's a whole bunch of events coming on. But if you're an Action 22 member and you're doing an event, let us, let us know and we'll help you promote that. So with that, Everybody is talking still about redistricting. And I promise that we wouldn't talk about it on the show anymore. He totally but, lied. But we're going to talk about it today because it's coming up. It's, yes. So the new numbers came out, the new census numbers. So it's changed things just a little bit. And the truth of the matter is, is that everybody knows that this has been one of our top priorities because of the impact it's going to have on our entire state for the next 10 years. And so while we are weary of the discussion because we know what needs to happen and we've already talked and talked and talked about it, regardless, there's some new stuff that has come up, but the question has come up of why we should be so concerned about this. And in my opinion, that's an important discussion to have because I wonder if the who of representation, because it's all about representation. I wonder if the who of the representation part is getting in the way of the how and what of the representation part. So our good friend, Andy Merritt, is joining us today to have this discussion. And 
Andy goes way back with Action 22. He goes way back with Brian. He's been a tremendous friend uh, and a little, it, also a lot of advice, a lot of good stuff uh, as soon as I started with Action 22 mm-hmm. um, because he used to work with, for Senator Gardner. But there's a whole big history of who Andy Merritt is. And so, Andy, will you, for our listeners, just begin by introducing yourself, giving us a little backstory on the O'Neill Group, who you are now with, and all of that. Sure. Thank you very much, Sarah and Brian, for having me today and for having this important topic. Um, it's something your your listeners definitely need to be continue to pay attention to, and more importantly, engage in this process. Um, my background, uh, as as Sarah and Brian have said, I've, I've known both of them now quite a while. Um, I have been involved in the political realm in Colorado since the 1994 election cycle. Uh, my first engagement being around some events that then Congressman Scott McGinnis um, was hosting down in Pueblo. Because um, the job I had at the time, I worked in Pueblo, Colorado Springs, and Univista. And so I got to cover Action 22 territory. But I've worked over the years um, for a number of members of the congressional delegation from Colorado, starting with Senator Hank Brown, um, then went to work for Senator Wayne Allard as his state director, was district director for then Congressman Mike Kaufman, and as I said, most recently, uh, state director for Senator Cory Gardner. Um, so I've had the privilege to spend time all across the Action 22 territory, and it is just a fantastic territory with a lot of great people. Um, the O'Neill Group company that I now work for um, is probably the simplest way to say is we're um, a management acquisition company. We have a lot in our portfolio. We have both commercial and residential real estate in the portfolio, including some both not just here in El Paso County, but also down in Pueblo. Um, And we also have a host of commercial companies that we own and operate things from a lighting company to medical waste disposal, all the way to a number of uh, defense related companies. Um, so we're pretty diversified. We do all kinds of stuff and we have a lot of fun doing it. And for the record, Andy, you were the guy that got me in this line of work. <laughs> you were, you were my, my first interview. I had no idea what working in a, a Senate office was for Senator Allard. I think I knew somebody that knew somebody that knew somebody and my resume got to you. And I remember I was actually living in Castle Rock at the time and I drove down to Pueblo and we just interviewed up the hall here in the Thatcher building. And I think we inter- I interviewed on a Friday and started on Monday after that. And I think it's worked out well for both of us. Brian. Yes, it has. <laughs> yes, it has. And I appreciate that. Thank you for taking the chance on me. So let's talk about redistricting for a moment. Again, we Action 22 has been having this discussion for a year now. We started having it in our board meetings a year ago. And the discussion from the very beginning was about the how our entire state in its entirety should be represented on the congressional level. The thing that we, I think that we talked about from the very beginning was, and the how part of it is, it's over the who part of it is, we needed to have a strong voice for our rural communities. It's something that we've it's been diluted. We've had to compete. We've had strong urban centers that our rural, some of our rural communities have um, competed with. But it's so much more than that. There's so many implications that go into that. And Andy, I understand that you have put together um, 
sort of some discussion items on the how part of representation and all the implications that we're letting the political voice over override the hows and whats of that representation. So can you talk a little bit about why our listeners should even still be engaged in this discussion? Yeah, and so let me just step back just a, a small bit to the genesis of where we're at today with the process, which is the 2018 election um, and uh, amendments Y and Z at the time that the voters passed. And why did the voters pass it? Because they wanted the process um, they wanted this redistricting process, which had always been heavily, heavily politicized, to right. be depoliticized a bit and to have it done by folks that didn't have a personal stake necessarily in each piece of it and also split the power, if you will. So the commissions that were stood up were supposed to consist of four Republicans, four Democrats and four independents. Um, so no one party could control the process or dominate the process. And then they set up some very specific requirements for the commission, both in how they function in terms of they're required to have three hearings in, in each of the congressional districts across the state of Colorado as part of the process. So the hearing coming up that you're talking about um, is part of that process so that they can hear from a variety of interests across the state. Um, and then it also gave them certain requirements about equal population, which is generally a constitutional requirement. Um, trying to maintain contiguous geographic areas to avoid some of the just horrific gerrymandering that has occurred um, from time to time. Not as bad in Colorado historically um, as it has happened elsewhere, but it has um, compactness of districts, um, trying to create some more competitive districts. Um, so they gave them a number of criteria. And one of the things they expressly said they can't do, which is consider income protection of incumbents. So they are prohibited from protecting incumbents or candidates in this process, um, which I think is a really good thing um, yes. that we have because it's not, it shouldn't be about the people, as you say. The process should, should be di divorced from the people and be about trying to get the best solutions. So, so that's kind of just some of the basic pieces that were put in place. Um, and I think we're seeing some positive effects of that. If you look say on the state legislative side, the, the initial maps that the staff produced um, ended up throwing a lot of incumbents, incumbents together in the same districts because they did not pay attention to where they lived. On the congressional side with only seven districts, the odds of that happening were much slimmer and it didn't happen. They're all in separate districts. Um, and they added one, they made the basically the additional district they made competitive so that we would have an additional competitive congressional district. But the interests what we're seeing now is a lot of people getting engaged in this process for the sole purpose of trying to shape it to partisan advantage. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the problem because when it's about partisan advantage, then a lot of people get lost along the way. And that's why the voices of your listenership, the region action 22 covers is so, so important in the process because people speaking out on behalf of their interests, their issues, their needs, is what should be driving this. So for rural communities, obviously you don't have the population numbers in our right. rural agricultural communities, especially in the West Slope and the Eastern Plains. And if, if those two pieces become pawns in the process, then you're gonna have members representing them where the bulk of their population is an urban area and right. they have some rural areas. So where's their time gonna go? Their time's gonna go and their interest and their issues are gonna go to 
where the votes are. Yeah. If you think of it this way, and I'll, I'll pause after this, but if you think of it this way, members, when they go, when they get elected, a new member gets elected, they have to go and put in for what committees they want to be in. If you're a member and you have a small, a relatively small speaking population wise, ag, ag component to your district, and the bulk of your audience is urban, then you're going to look for committees, not the agriculture committee or not the environment public works committee. You're not going to look for those committees that are going to address the issues that uh, that folks in this territory care about. And so your issues, you're most effective as a member of Congress in the in the committees that you're on. That's where you have the most influence. So if our members in Colorado aren't selecting those committees because the votes aren't there in their districts, then the interests of this territory are going to suffer greatly. Which is which is really important, sir, sir. No, go ahead. Um, because you know, Colorado, our economy is driven, one of the largest drivers of our economy is agriculture. And a lot of people say that, you know, what happens in Congress doesn't really have a real impact on my state or where I live. But the fact of the matter is when it comes to agriculture and natural resources, it has a huge impact on Colorado. And if we don't have a member that's on ag or natural resources in Colorado, that can really, really hurt Colorado from a federal perspective. Absolutely. So talk about for just a second why that's important. How can they have that influence? And Because I know in my brain, as soon as you said that, I thought water. Yeah, water too. That's natural so resources and The natural resources and all of yeah. the laws and all of that that go into that. Or the farm bill, you know, drafting the farm oh bill gosh. every year. Like you, yeah, you I mean, your natural resource them. conservation service programs, your uh, prep programs and equip. Yeah. And I mean, all those different programs that maybe don't always aren't always important to an individual farmer. But we all know we're going to continue with these cycles of droughts, um, continue with cycles of natural disasters. Those programs that help our, our ag communities get through the bad times. We don't have we wouldn't have a voice on that. So I think the approach that Action 22 has taken is really advocating for uh, a Western Slope, Eastern Plains um, districts to maintain those the strength of those ag components is important. So we heard an uh, an argument that, and and I don't agree with it, but it, it has some merit to it. I think is that if you have more representation. So the idea was if we split this up, then you're going to have more representation for, or you can have more representatives working on these different issues for these rural communities. So the idea is, well, if we have like, you know, this pie where Denver is the center and a portion of Denver is in every single congressional district. I mean, that's not what they're really looking at, but that was the argument that you'll have more of that. The way you, that doesn't make any sense in my brain whatsoever because we have never seen any of that because of what you just explained. So how, I guess that would be the thing I would put to you right now. How, how do, would you see that? It, wouldn't it be better to have more representation, like more representatives? I understand the argument. I don't agree with the argument. Um, because for this reason, it goes back to what I said earlier of it's, for, for uh, especially in the House of Representatives, members are most effective, get the most done on the committees that they're a member of. And they're going to get to be on three, maybe four committees occasionally with a select committee, but generally three committees in the House. So, so what most shapes what committees members go for are two things. 
One is their background. Where do they come from? Um, if you're a member with an ag background, then you're going to have more desire to maybe want to be on an ag committee. If you're a member who's from the aerospace defense industry, you're going to want to be on the armed services committee. Um, yeah, so so your background can shape your interests generally. But then the other big piece that shapes a member's interest in committee assignments is what most impacts my voters, where, you know, the bulk of voters that I have. So if you have a district that's, let's say, 85% urban and 15% ag, but that 15% might cover a lot of counties because of the population differences. But if it's only 15% of your district, where does you, where are you going to be focusing your desire for committees? Mm. I'm, the, I'm the area that's going to cover 85% of your voters because that's the bulk of your people. So whereas now you have, for example, you have, uh, you know, the, the fourth district on the Eastern Plains. Um, look at the history of who served in there from, you know, I, I started with Hank when he was in the Senate, but he was in the House representing the fourth district before that. He was on Ag Committee. And Wayne Allard was on Ag Committee. I mean, Corey Gardner was on Ag Committee because they had such a chunk of the district, such an important piece of their district that was on Ag. They wanted to be on Ag Committee. So if you're going to get more consistent representation on the Ag Committee in the House of Representatives, then there's got to be districts back here that have enough of a chunk of their district as Ag, a significant chunk of it population-wise and, and economic-wise, that they're going to want to do that. And I just think your danger when you split a small population centers of ag communities across multiple districts, they're not going to be significant enough in any one district to really drive those members to want to be on the ag. Plus, it goes back to the guideline, too, on drawing these districts, keeping communities of interest together. And yeah. an ag community and downtown Denver in no means is a community of interest with each other. Let me give you an example from the state legislative redistricting that the initial maps that came out from there. There is a rep, I'm going to give you one state house and one state senate district. Um, there's one state house district where the current member is from Aurora, Colorado, and has represented an urban suburban district around Aurora. That person's new district would go all the way out to Julesburg um, on the northeast corner of the state. In the state senate, my my current state senator, um, Paul Lundin, in El, northern El Paso County would now represent Otero, Baca, Bent, Prowers County. It doesn't make sense to me. What's the, in, the interest? You know, Brian, you, you said it right, and it does. there is a requirement that specifically says preserve whole communities of interest. What's a community of interest between Monument, Colorado, and Baca and Bent, Colorado? There's none. In fact, in many ways, we could argue that there's, there's a lot of conflict of interest on water especially. Yeah. Yes. Otero, the whole Arkansas, lower Arkansas Valley being in with northern El Paso County, there's not a common commonality of interest. So what does that legislator work towards? And whose interest is going to carry the day? Well, where's the population of the district? Exactly. Um, that's why that community of interest, that's why that provision was in the Constitution and is and is was in these amendments and they were passed. Because you want to avoid those kind of situations where if each of the, think of the Eastern Plains, if each of the Eastern Plains County is in a district with either the Metro Denver region or the or the El Paso County region, they're going to have competing water interests. Why should they be together? It just stuff like that makes no sense to me. And I don't think it's going to serve your people in, in this territory well. 
We totally agree with you on that. The map that is currently being presented on the congressional side is it would split and, and we support this map. It's even a little bit better than the map that we originally submitted as a concept map to the commission, uh, but it really divides it along the continental divide. So on when we talk about communities of interest, there was already one that you can't deny, and that is um, the Western Slope. The other community of interest that's already well-established, again, that you can't deny, is the San Luis Valley. So this would split the, um, split the San Luis Valley with the current third and put the San Luis Valley um, and Pueblo into, and that whole area, into the fourth. So we like this, but right now the pushback that we're hearing a lot is to go in a different direction and do north and south and cut the state in half north-south and have those two be districts instead of an east-west district. What did you think? What do you think of that? You're you're not really preserving community of interest because you're splitting the west slope then and the eastern plains north and south, um, which means... I think you're, what you're going to see is you're going to get the northwest corner of the state then lumped in with the Denver metro region, the northeast corner of the state lumped in with the Denver metro region, because to get the population numbers required, they have to. And then the southwest corner is going to probably maybe even have to go into metro Denver as well. And I would imagine you'd have to put El Paso County with southeast Colorado. And again, I mean, one of the biggest issues now and going forward is water. You guys mentioned it. Uh-huh. That's mixing water interests tremendously, and but where then where does those the bulk of the population in those districts come from? It's going to come from metro areas that are all trying to get the water that all those different regions are trying to preserve, so they can maintain their their way of life that's historically existed. Well, and that's the big issue I think that we're hearing, or the big concerns that we're hearing from our our Action 22 people in the southeast part of the, there's a real danger in this, um, in pr- protecting their water rights, but also uh, what we call, um, I don't want to say it because it's going to make some people mad, but it's water speculation. There's a lot of yeah. water speculation and these guys don't have the protections, but we know that, for example, fountain had to shut down some of their construction projects earlier this year because they didn't have the water. And so now Colorado Springs is very much looking for other sources of water. And, but that was one of the other arguments that we, that we heard is that um, because of the water issues on the Western slope, that they should, it should be like those Southern those Southern district, it should be a Southern district. They should keep them all together. But that again, didn't make too much sense to me because I don't think that the water issues on the Eastern side of Colorado are the same as the water issues on the Western side of Colorado. Am I wrong in that? No, you're hundred percent correct. They're very different. So the, and again, it's along that it's along the continental divide so let me ask you this, and because you've been in it for a really long time, and Brian and I, I hadn't even thought about it. And of course, Brian brought it up. It's about that representation getting and 
representatives actually connecting with people, um, with their constituents, with Coloradans, when they're when they're back from DC and they're going to visit. How and I was on a trip with you and Senator Gardner a couple of years ago, where um, it was eight it was eighteen hours and eight hundred miles or something we did in one day, and it was all along the Eastern Plains. How does that impact? How does the Continental Divide impact <laughs> what a representative is able to do if you do it that way? Well, I know Brian can comment on this real well too, having worked for members representing <laughs> both Pueblo and the and San Luis Valley and the Western Slope. It, yeah. You know, uh, there's just obvious basic travel issues when you think the Continental Divide. It's a barrier for travel in the wintertime, um, yes. whether it's I-70. The Highway 50 corridor, the 160 corridor, you know, going over Wolf Creek, um, the, the Continental Divide is just natural barrier to travel east to west in the wintertime. Um, it's less of a barrier going north to south in that in that same period of time. So if you're on the western slope during the winter, it's not so hard to travel up and down the western slope. Um, it is hard to travel east to west across, um, and you're just going to face more issues. I mean, you think I-70 with ski traffic and just going I-70 back and forth in the wintertime is terrible. So, you know, a member representing the West Slope often, and Brian can comment on this, you know, they have the option they can fly into um, Grand Junction or fly down into Durango. And we would do that on the Senate side. When the weather turned bad, we'd fly them out there and then rent a car and drive up and down and visit those kind of counties. Same thing on the Eastern Plains. You can easily go north to south on the Eastern Plains in the wintertime. It's not a problem at all. We did it all the time. Well, I, I jokingly said a couple times that to get from Pueblo to Grand Junction in the winter, it would be, you could get to the Gulf of Mexico faster than you could get to Grand Junction sometimes. I mean, I, there were there there were times where it was like 12 hours and you only made it halfway there and had to get a hotel, which the hotels were booked. So then you, what do you do? Sleep in your car, turn around, and then take another day to drive to Grand Junction. And also... I-70, I think it's closed one out of every three days on average right now. And I mean, I mean, it's been closed for what, uh, like almost yeah. a week, Yeah, two weeks. So it's just impossible in the wintertime. And even in the summer, I-70 closes weekly. So, so well, and I would, you know, let me just give you a practical example. It's just not so much of that, but going back to our conversation about district representation. If you look at the current fifth district, which is El Paso, Teller, uh, Fremont, Park, Chafee, um, and I, I mean, I think our congressman does a fine job, but if you ask the folks in those mountain counties, do they feel like they get an equal level of attention as El Paso County does in this district? Yeah. And I can guarantee you, you're not going to find a person you're over not there gonna find. who's going to say, oh yeah, we do. And it's not that they're ignored, but they're not getting the same level of attention because where is the bulk of the voting population in the fifth district? It's in El Paso County. I think that's why the commission staff with the first map that came out you know, in preserving what you guys said, the Eastern Plains and Western Slope District, they put El Paso in a whole district by itself because the population is there. And guess what? That is a commonality of interest yes. across El Paso County. We're in the same economic sector where, you know, water issues are the same. So it just makes a lot of sense. So that's just, to me, one practical example of the current map and what you would have if you now, let's say, let's say you split El Paso County in half and put in a bunch of rural counties from San Luis Valley in the mountains in with one half 
and then take a chunk of the Eastern Plains in with the other half, they're not going to get the same level of attention. No. Right. No. And we've got to take a break, but when we come back, we are going to discuss um, the future implications. So we just discussed uh, how that representation should happen, and then we're going to discuss what that will impact for the next 10 years, especially as we are going to be hugely focused on transition out of a pandemic. So when so, we um, will consider that uh, when we are right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. This episode of Making Action Happen is sponsored by Action 22's amazing energy leaders. Excel Energy, Colorado Rural Electric Association, Colorado Oil and Gas Association, Gil Romero and the Capital Success Group, Black Hills Energy, Nextera Energy, San Isabel Electric Association, Outshine Energy, Colorado Solar and Storage Association, Tri-State and 174 Power Global. Action 22 is a nonpartisan, membership-driven organization which serves as a voice for action on public policy for 22 southern Colorado counties on the state and federal level. We focus on how issues relating to Colorado legislation, local government affairs, health care, education, and natural resources intersect for the economic health of our region. If you're a leader in your community and are considering joining Action 22, you can get more information by emailing show at action22.org or visit our website at action22.org. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You may also reach out via email to sarah.blackhurst at action22.org. Now, back to Making Action Happen. Hi, welcome back. We're discussing the implications, um, present and future, for redistricting, and we have Andy Merritt with us. I think, Andy, one of the things that I have been concerned about as I've listened, and we've, at first we came out and we were saying a lot and making a lot of noise about the congressional districts, and we hadn't really jumped on the legislative side, and we'll get to that in just a minute, but one of the things that uh, we've kind of 
quietly pulled back and just listened to what everybody has had to say. The thing that concerns me is that, of course, this is going to be partisan. Of course, this is going to be very politically driven. And of course, everybody, one side or the other, is going to point their finger and scream gerrymandering at the other side. My concern is that it's a very short-sighted strategy. When we're talking about how the state is going to be represented um, on the state and federal level for the next 10 years, that, that partisanship is what, and that short-sightedness is what's really bothering me. So can you give us some insight on what some of those implications could be in the long term for the next 10 years when the folks that are currently running for office would not even be a thought in our mind eight years down the road? Yeah, thank you. It's a great question. There's a lot of different angles. So let me just touch on a couple things and, you know, maybe we can converse back and forth a little on it. But uh, part of what matters to me in elected officials, it's, it goes far beyond the party registration. It's what's their background. What ideally you want in a legislative body is you want a diverse group of people, diverse backgrounds. Um, the Because of, as I mentioned earlier, when we were talking about committee assignments, backgrounds drive interest for those members. So again, they pay attention to the interests of their voters and they also pay attention to what they're personally interested in. So ideally you want a very diverse group of people. In the case of the Action 22 territory, what's that mean? Well, we want we would want people that have backgrounds in agricultural community, in water, um, in you know public lands uh, sorts of issues, um, and of course business backgrounds, education, different things. So as you look and think through the issues that impact Action Twenty Two, some of which are the same across the state, education matters to all of us. It's incredibly important. So it's good to have folks with education background in the legislature. But if everybody comes in and are very similar in backgrounds, then who are they going to rely on? Well, they're going to end up having to rely on the lobbyist community around them, those the interest groups around them, because that's where they're going to get the knowledge and the expertise instead of having a colleague that they can turn to. Um, I, you know, I, and Brian has seen this too. I remember when you have somebody either in the state legislature or in the delegation has a particular expertise like water. Uh-huh. Well, then guess what? Their colleagues all turn to that person to say, educate me here. I'm not quite grasping this. Because, you know, you, you come out of Aurora, Colorado, and you've owned a small uh, restaurant. What do you know about water issues? Right. So when they come before you, where do you go to? They're going to go to the interest groups and stuff like that. But colleagues with expertise in a variety of backgrounds add in a layer to the legislature. It's why we need people to run. And I know a lot of people get scared of running for office, but it's why we need people to run from all kinds of backgrounds. If you're out there and listening and you've been bugged by something, it just bothers you that the policy-wise that's going on, you should think about running and doing it. (laughs) We just need that. And so so redistricting goes beyond just the party aspect of all this as to why you want these different kinds of districts covering that, why community of interest matters so much um, because you're going to more likely generate people with expertise in the issues that affect that community of interest when they're retained together. Does that make sense? No, it makes total sense. Nobody has explained it better because I think about this kind of thing a lot and nobody has explained it better. But you mentioned at the beginning of the show that you've actually been in the arena since 1994. 
So just really quick along what you just said, have there, were there any issues in 1994 that you would say, oh, that's a, that's a Republican issue or that's a Democrat issue. And it sort of has morphed into something different in that, you know, since then. Wow, that's a great question. I don't know. <laughs> hmm. I get it. Brian, you want to jump if you think it would. <laughs> I, I honestly think that education, right? Because education traditionally was driven more by the, the Democrat side, the unions, you know, that tend to lean Democrat. But right now, especially after the pandemic, um, education is a nonpartisan issue now. It, it's both sides of the aisle, I think. Yeah. And, and we're having these conversations. It's really interesting to see, you know, these heavy population center schools switch to the type of education that the rural schools and the spread out mountain towns and plains towns have been dealing with for years. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, and it does. Because the issues that come to my mind, Sarah, are issues that I've seen, unfortunately, that I think were more bipartisan that have become more yeah. polarized than partisan. I've seen more of that than I've seen issues kind of switching one side to the other. At the national level, you know, you've seen like the Republican Party lately has become more populist um, yeah. than it used to be at the national level. That doesn't really translate as much into the state issues. Um, but when I think, for example, um, you know, just just how partisan natural resource public lands issues used to be much more bipartisan. Yeah, right. Um, I remember working when, when Brian and I both worked for Wayne Allard. Um, I could work with the Sierra Club and the environmental community in this state, and we did. And Wayne yeah. carried a number of bills creating, um, you know, creating uh, wilderness areas. Um, but it was very, it was just a lot less politicized. People used to comment all the time that, gee, when you guys grapple with these issues, these public lands issues in Colorado, everybody seems to want to try and work together. They all have the things they prefer you know, nationally, it would be so partisan. Now it's as partisan here as it is nationally. And it's a shame because I think yeah. some of those issues, water issues, ag issues, those things should, should not be partisan, but unfortunately they are more and more so in the state of Colorado. And I think some of it's the members that drive that as well as the public drive some of that. And the reason I wanted to bring that up is because when we're looking at these maps and the focus is on the who, and it's on the next election and that's where all the focus is. I think we lose sight of that. Okay, ten years from now, it's going to be different. It's going to look different than it is right now. So we had. Uh, I have this conversation a lot with my um, oldest son, who's twenty three, uh, and he he was very into politics a couple of years ago, and now he's just sort of jaded on it. But he says, and he feels that it's more of a statement to not vote than it is to actually vote. And so, and this, and he points to this whole redistricting thing that it's so, um, it's so partisan and it's so polarized. It's polarizing and it's so about, well, I want this to happen. It's a special interest thing. And so he's like, there's really no reason for me to vote. It's already decided before we do that. What would you say to somebody like him? Because, you know, he's not listening to me. <laughs> of course not. Um, you know, I think what I would say is, how do you expect things to change if you're not engaged in the process? Yeah. 
Right. Um, you know, it's, there are a lot of, I, I, I'm sad in many ways to see where things politically are in this country today, since I've been in it as long as I have, and it used to be so different and much, we all used to disagree, but you could, you could have conversations with both sides and have productive interactions and a lot of that's gone away, but it doesn't change if people get out of the process. Cause what happens is when you pull out of the process and don't vote, don't vote, don't engage, don't show up at, at redistricting commission hearings and, and share your voice, you're leaving behind the most radicalized people to control the process, which yes. means the process just continues to get worse and worse. And, so and that that's be my answer. And one thing that I've said on the show and to people, um, again, with that attitude, like, well, why should I, you know, make a comment? I'm just one voice. And right. many, I'm like, yeah, that's because you have larger areas and activists that can go out and do this. And it, they could, you know, an activist group can have a thousand people tomorrow show up to the meeting, no problem. And that's why it's so important for the Action 22 members in our area that we need to go Friday here in Pueblo and say what we think. They may not agree with the, the maps or ideas that we propose, but at least they need to voice their opinion because, again, in Denver, Boulder, they can have thousands of people at the drop of the hat show up. Right. Whereas, you know, you go to the, the Valley or Pueblo or some of these areas and maybe six or seven people show up and that's it. So let's talk a little bit about the legislative maps. And for those of you who haven't been in it um, or aren't really confused about the vernacular that we're using around redistricting. So the congressional ones are the D.C. delegation. Um, legislative are the state the state representative. So that is um, the legislature that goes up to Denver and spends 120 days um, putting out 700 or so <laughs> bills um, for consideration every session. 700 That's bills a day. <laughs> 700 bills a day. I'm so tired. Um, so, so Andy, if you were sitting on the commission right this minute and you were trying to make some of these decisions, what are the top things that you want to would want to see happen on the legislative side? What's the most important thing from your experience? You know, I, I, to me, that community of interest is the most important part, trying to get that right so that taking out the partisan aspect of it and saying, who are the people whose voices need to be grouped together so that voice has greater impact in the process? Um, because, it, you know, I shared earlier a couple of those districts that I think are just crazy because it makes no sense to me to have Monument Colorado with Baca Bend and Kiowa County oh, or yeah. to have... Or to have Aurora, Colorado, with Logan, Sedgwick, and Phillips, and Yuma. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really important. Is and, and I think the public, the an individual sharing their voice, even if they just think it's that one voice, but that's the reason they need to share their voice because the commission needs to hear that there are people interested. What are those issues that matter to you and your community? You don't even need to go in there and talk one bit about partisan aspects of this. Just go in and share your perspective. And what it is about your community, what the issues are for your community that they need to be aware of so that they are taking that into account and grouping you with like-minded communities so that your voice is greater than it is as one vote in the state of Colorado. And I'll give the commission credit because they they do pay attention to it. You know, um, yeah. when I uh, gave my comments and was grilled for 45 minutes on it. Just a few little things that I didn't think they would pick up. They actually picked up and asked a lot of questions about that. And I was I was honestly impressed. So one voice does make a difference when you go to these. 
I personally know a few folks on these commissions, and I will tell you they are honorable, well-intentioned people. Yes. Um, so I think they want to get it right, but they can only get it right based on the information that's given to them. Exactly. And if the information they're getting, as Brian's commented, the activist groups, the political groups, they're making their voices heard. They're making sure the commission is hearing a specific message over and over and over again. So regular folks need, like us, need to be sharing our voices to say, hey, this is what matters to me and my community. So Action 22, for the record, is saying over and over again, we haven't, we haven't diverted at all from our original messages that we need two purely rural districts. And they, because right now, um, the rural districts, here's the, here's, I guess here's the other thing. And, and Andy, um, correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, but 85% of the state is rural. It's considered rural or frontier. There's literally federal um, definitions for what rural and frontier is. 85% is rural or frontier, but that's where your our energy and water um, and ag are all coming from. So your food, energy, and water are coming from 85% geographically of the state. Is there any reason that you can think of to not give two purely rural districts out of eight? No, not when you look. Yeah. I mean, you can look at it from a lot of different angles, the percentage, you know, third largest economic sector, um, just the sheer volume of the land. Um, there's a lot of different angles you can look at it from that would all say, no, that would make complete sense. I, I always laugh. Uh, you know, I go, I live in Northern El Paso County. So I go to a um, farmer's market in Monument. And I laugh at the people that are there. They never think one second. They all will say, oh, we, I want, you know, farm fresh foods. And I want direct from farm to me. And <laughs> that's why I come here. But none of them think for a second where that food is actually coming from. And they, so the only ones who think about it regularly are the people living in your counties in this territory, you know, we on the West Slope and on the Eastern Plains. Yeah, those folks think every day about where this comes from because they, they live it. It matters. So, yeah, I was say, oh, sorry, I uh, didn't mean to cut you off, but we did a whole show on where food comes from and how people don't realize where their food comes from. So, yeah. when you're talking about food, energy, and water, <laughs> I don't, I, I, I just, I'm wanting to know if there's anybody out there that could really give me a good reason why not to give um, two of eight rural purely rural districts the, the only good reason for that is if you focus on the who and not the why yeah that's if it. it's about the partisan politics aspect yeah. of it yeah then it and, and that's what that's what drives the desire to split things so i'm gonna um before we let you go in just um a couple minutes um this has been one of the points of contention that have come up several times and it's that that whole aspect of keeping things competitive uh we felt in the maps that we originally put out was that uh, El Paso County had enough population to have um, its own congressional district. And there's a lot of people that feel like that is not a competitive, that wouldn't be a competitive district. They think that El Paso County should be split up. What's, give us some pers uh, your perspective on that. Yeah, it, it makes me laugh because when that conversation occurs, and I've heard it and hear it, um, 
Denver is the most partisan community in the state, basically. Denver, the congressional district, that would be a Denver center district. So no, they never say, let's split Denver up. Denver would be a 56, if you look at the results from the 2018 attorney general elections, the Democrat attorney general won in Denver by 56%. They didn't get 56%. They won by 56%. In El Paso County, if you look at the numbers for El Paso County, it was a 20% margin for the Republican candidate. So El Paso County, and it's changed a lot. And I think it's part of the mistake of looking at the partisan aspects is things change over time. If we go back to the mid nineties, when I started, you know, you had, you had a Republican governor, all statewide offices were Republican held at one point. Um, the legislature was controlled by Republicans. Now it's completely flipped. Politics changes over time. That's the short sightedness of doing redistricting based on partisan advantage. Interests change. Uh, people are moving in and out of the state all the time. Um, the issues change in the state. So it just there's it's laughable that Denver should stay whole, but Colorado Springs and El Paso County, which is changing, frankly, it used to be more Republican than it is now. But they want to split that because of it's too safe a Republican district. Actually, in the maps that the legislature and that the commission drew for congressional for these first maps, District Four was more Republican than District Five, which is El Paso County. Yeah. So. Right. Forget the partisan aspects of this. Let's do what's right by the people and their interests, not what's going to just give us the best partisan advantage. What's driving it is they didn't like these map the, the the staff drawn maps because the districts would be four Democrat safe districts, three Republican safe districts, and one swing district. Well, I love the idea of us having a swing district. I think that makes sense. If we're getting a new one, let's make it a swing district. Right. But what some folks want, and the reason they want to split El Paso County and draw these things differently is they think there should be six Democratic districts and two Republican districts. What's the interest of the voter there? It's not. Yeah. No. It's not interest. And again, constitutionally, if you look at the requirements that the voters passed into law in those amendments, you will not find partisan advantage anywhere in there. It does add a criteria for competitiveness, but that is the last and lowest criteria. Yeah. Yes. So the voters spoke. The voters created this process. The voters said, we don't want it to be about partisan. We want it to be about these other factors, community of interest. And these folks want to ignore the voters and just make it about partisan. And honestly, Ham, we'll let you go after this. Um, you know, four, three and a swing. That's actually pretty competitive. Yes. As a whole. As a whole. Yeah. The same. So it all comes down to this. And this has been my favorite question of late. Are they serving party or are they serving Colorado? And I've got to say, Colorado has to take precedent over any party, anywhere, yeah. anytime. We will not fight against our state. Well, so and the other thing I would push back on is if you think about, we, we just said the 431, but when you add in the impact of two senators in Congress, that means you have, you would have five Democrats because both Senate seats are Democrat held. You'd have five Democrats, three Republicans, one swing district. I think yeah. that's pretty reasonable for Colorado. I, I, I do too. Yeah, we agree. We well, agree. thanks for coming on the show, Andy. Appreciate it. It was good hearing from you, and we'll be talking soon, sir. You're welcome. Andy. Thank you for having me, and appreciate what you guys do to advocate for our whole region down here in the southeast part of the state. So great to see you, Andy. We'll talk soon. So here's the deal. Uh, the 
the commission's been doing hearings. Mm -hmm. They've been doing them around the state. Uh, they've done the. There's one that's happening in Pueblo tomorrow. Tomorrow, 7 p.m. At, at CSUP. Okay. Um, and we'll send that out in an email to everybody so that they can come. And you're right when you said earlier that they are very much engaged, even written comments. They're yeah. reading every single thing. They're talking about, here's what we're hearing. Um, so if, and it's 7 o'clock on a Friday night is not really... Um, fit into your schedule or you don't really think that it matters if you show up or not, it absolutely does. And if you can't show up tomorrow to make your voice heard, or you can just go on and you can, there's a link. If you go, yep. if you Google Colorado Independent Redistricting Commission. There's a link where you can put your written comments. And this is one thing that I advise people to, um, if you're getting your information from a certain group, um, whether it be a political group, uh, or an activist group, you know, they'll have a form letter for the comments. Um, I would encourage you not to use a form letter. Use your own words yes. and say why it matters and why this is important and what you want. Don't just copy and paste the form letter because, you know, if you get a thousand form letters, you know, it's coming from a group. Right. Um, it's better to personalize this message. And, you know, I hate using like personal, emotional examples of why something is important. But in this case, I think it matters. Like, why is this important to you? Why does this and how does this impact you? And what would you like to see? Um, and I'm just going to say one other thing. I think that, um, that, and we started to talk about it a little bit on this, um, is are we talking about splitting it up on partisanship? It's the strengthening versus um, diluting a voice. And yeah. that's why it's so important. And I loved what Andy said about um, what he would say to to my son Ferris about if you um, if you don't speak up, then you're leaving the field open for extreme, um, very um, special interest groups. Yeah. Um, because you're not saying anything, and then if you don't say anything, then it just that's what happens um, yeah. on that. So um, we're going to be there if you want to talk to us a little bit more about redistricting or any of the other issues that are coming up. Uh, we're working on a whole lot of things. We're trying to have discussions on um, how ARPA funds can be accessed. On, that's the American Recovery Act or Re Re American Recovery Plan Act. Yeah. Um, we're having a lot of high level discussions with um, decision makers on that right now. And we're gonna get you, uh, we wanna get everybody in Action 22 involved with that. Uh, we are gonna be talking, there's a lot of interim committees that are happening the summer interim committees from um, as a result of the legislative session that's happening. If there's anything that you want to discuss with us, um, let us know. And you can reach us at uh, um, it's Brian or show at action 22. Show at action 22. That's super simple. Show at action 22.org. And we'll get back with you on that. And then one last thing before we um, sign off for uh, today is if you're not currently an action 22 member, you need to join Action 22. It's the strengthening of the voice versus of the dilution of the voice. And for everything that we do, you know that we are nonpartisan, but absolutely we are standing up and everybody who's an Action 22 member is standing up and representing on these issues that are most impactful. Brian, how do they join? Show at action22.org. Send an email there, or you can email me directly, brian.mccain 
B-R-I-A-N dot M-C-C-A-I-N at action22.org. Either of those will work. And we'll come and sit down and visit with you. Yep. So next week we will, it'll be right before um, the state fair starts and we're going to have a great show for you then. And we'll talk about some other issues that are most impactful and what matter most to you as our Action 22 members um, around the state and also around the world. We'll talk to you then. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show next Thursday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. We'll be right back.